Lord, I just want to confess that the words of that hymn are so satisfying to the soul. Thank you, Holy Father, for the fact that you have made all of history about one person, and that is your Son, and giving us the tremendous grace and mercy of, of knowing him, of being loved by him, of knowing that though he is exalted and he is the first and the last, that he is the I am, that he, he didn't consider equality with you something to be grasped, but humbled himself, taking the form of a man, even a servant, and dying on the cross for us to remove anger and wrath from our shoulders so that we could live in the freedom of your love and the freedom of hope. And I just thank you so much. I pray that this morning as we've already sung and now we open scriptures together, I pray your Holy Spirit would take the word and that he would scrub off the dust of our souls and just allow us to see you with greater clarity and with greater affection. That we wouldn't practice Christianity, but we would live Christianity. That it would be within us the way a light inhabits a light bulb and it would just radiate. We thank you for all that you've done, all that you will do. And we just give ourselves to you and ask your Holy Spirit to reign this morning in this room uh, through your truth. In, uh, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. You can take your seats and at this point the children's church is dismissed. And if you don't know where your kids are supposed to go, then they can actually exit these doors over here and and they will be led to their classroom. And while they're leaving, let me ask you to turn to two places in the Bible. We are going to, this is going to be the last message in the series on Psalms, although I will say it's hard to end because I like it to keep going, but there's something new we're doing starting next week. So we're in Psalm 37, this is the last of four messages in this psalm, and we're focusing on the first part of verse 7. So if you will take your Bibles and turn there and kind of keep your finger, and I want you to flip over to Revelation chapter 5. I think it's appropriate to read Psalm 37 in light of Revelation 5, and I hope at some point here you'll see why. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 5 verses 1 through 10, some of the most amazing visions in the Bible. And um, let me ask if you will, in reverence for God's Holy Scripture, if you would stand with me as I read. These are the visions of the Apostle John while on the island of Patmos. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Let me just make a comment there that I believe that scroll is history itself, redemptive history, and the closing of history. Verse 2, And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, The lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent into all the earth. And he went back 
excuse me, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song. Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation and you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. Psalm 37 verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. You can go ahead and take your seats. I'll come back to Revelation 5 in a moment. We don't watch a, a ton of television in our house. We do, depending on the season, we'll watch more than others. Uh, but we do tend to watch more movies than television shows. And uh, I was realizing just this morning that um, it's a little unbalanced in terms of what kind of movies we watch in my house. That is, I think for every guy flick we watch, there are like four chick flicks that we watch. And um, I, honestly, I mean, I enjoy a chick flick with my wife. I probably shouldn't say that since I'm wearing this color shirt, but I <laughs> do enjoy watching movies with my wife. And this last week we were watching a, uh, one of the movies, and I don't even remember the name, but I remember it stopped in the middle. It stopped, you know? And uh, I, that to me is frustrating. I remember the most frustrating moment I've ever had watching a movie was watching one of the few man flicks that I got to watch, which was um, I Am Legend, Will Smith. You know, that's some fast-paced action. And like we're at the part where Will Smith, his character, he's running in this dark warehouse for a window where there's light, and he's being chased by these hairless savages. Now, why... The villains in movies don't have hair. I just, let's just not even <laughs> turning into that. But this part of the movie, and he's running in the dark, and they're gaining on him. The camera's getting closer and closer, and I'm, you know, I'm on the edge of my seat. I've never seen the movie before. On the edge of my seat, my heart's beating faster, and inside you're going, go, 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 you've got to get to the window. And he jumps through the window, and the glass is there, and all of a sudden it freezes. And I've never wanted to choke my DVD player as much as I did that particular time. So we took it out, we wiped it off, stuck it back in, it stopped the same exact place it was a defective DVD. So we had to actually wait another day or two to get past the broken window and him leaping through. That is frustrating because nobody likes to be left, left hanging. Um, and every story they tell you, um, those who study literature and write literature, that every story has that sense of tension or... It has to have a problem that it solves or, or some kind of question that it answers. There is this crisis that has to be fixed or disequilibrium that has to come to rest in peace. Otherwise, it's not a good story. And by the way, that's what keeps you waiting, even in a B movie, for the end because they build in this sense of anticipation, of, of tension. How is, is, the, is the guy going to get the girl in the end? Is the bad guy going to get punished in the end? Who's going to win the fight between Hector and Achilles? You know, if you don't know the story, you're left going, who's going to win? And there's this sense of anticipation. And no one likes to have it cut short before the resolution. That's hard. No one likes to be left hanging. I don't. Well, each of us, and you know this, each of us in this room uh, have a story. Uh, not a story in our lives, but our life is a story. 
It has a beginning, and it's going to have an end. Now, like it or not, all of us are going to die with questions that will not be answered. That we will die with problems that will not be solved and with tension that will not be released. Some of them may be resolved, but by and large, there will be a hanging part of our life after we die that's not resolved. The Sunday school teacher who spends 30 years instructing kids in a classroom like Parkway Community Church, so Ms. Sheila for decades taught little kids verses, will never know the outcome of her investment this side of heaven. So there's a tension remaining, a, 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 a cliffhanger, so to speak, because she's not going to get to see the fruit of what she's done. Did, was all my labor in vain? Just kind of left there. Uh, the man who, who dies in his 40s, leaving behind a wife and three kids. That's a life that doesn't have an end to the story, really. I mean, it's, uh, it's left unresolved. There's no happily ever after that we all long to hear. The person who has their son, a 15-year-old son, slammed by a, by a drunk driver and killed, there's no resolution to that story. There's no happily ever after to that story. And it's even worse if the person who did the driving, the drunk driving, isn't brought to justice. As there's, there are so many different things that the story is left hanging in life. And your story is going to be left hanging with some things that are not resolved, some relationships that are never mended. You may never see your son or daughter come to faith in your life. There's going to be this unresolved issue. And that's true all the way through. Maybe even some of your deep questions about the Lord or wrestlings with your past. Some of those you're going to die with unresolved. So how do you, how do you live in a life where your story is not going to be resolved and where other people's lives are going to end without being resolved? How do you live that way? How do you live faithfully as a Christian, knowing that your life is going to end as kind of a cliffhanger? I believe that the verses here, or verses, we're looking at just half of one, help us to live life in a world where resolution is not always experienced, and most of the time it's not, where the problem is not solved and the question is not answered. And it comes down to this. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. As we've noted in previous messages, this psalm is about how to live your life faithfully to the Lord in the middle of a fallen world where evil often prevails and where it increases. And this is now the fourth the Lord statement. He's instructing us how to walk and how to live when things are dark. That is, we trust in the Lord, verse 3. We delight ourselves in the Lord, verse 4. We commit our way to the Lord, verse 5. And now here's the fourth and the final, the Lord statement we look at is, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. This statement strikes me as the way in which we are able to live knowing that we're not going to get all our questions answered and our problems solved, is we are still before the Lord, still our hearts before the Lord, and we wait patiently for him. Now, those two things go together, still 
being still and waiting. But they're not the same. Be still has a present tense orientation to it. We're to do right now. And the wait patiently for the Lord naturally has a future orientation to it. The whole word wait implies that you're waiting for something in the future. So the present part is to be still. That this is David's instruction, and it was his practice, and he's giving it to us. The way to live out your life with unresolved problems is to stop and be still before the Lord. In other words, let the things of your soul settle. Let them rest. Let them find their calm. That's, that's what it is. Uh, literally, that word translated be still means to be silent. But its added meaning is to also be still. It's the very same word that Joshua used when he told the son to stand still and God held it in one place. And I, it strikes me that that statement, to be still, is extremely and intensely relevant for you and I right now. The world has always been in motion. It's always been changing, going back and forth. There's always been pressures and stresses and things to do, things to do at work, things to do with your kids, dealing with your own flaws, dealing with the future, dealing with financial issues, all of those things. But in our age, it's even worse. And to even find a slice of time to just stop, to close the doors of your mind on all of the worries and anxieties and the conversations you've had that didn't go well and just say, stop. And to experience the silence and stillness of the soul is something that people just are not given to do. And as a result, we're like people like chasing our tails all the time and find ourselves like dogs trying to paddle up a stream and just barely, barely making it through life. And there's no stillness and there's no calm. And David's saying, listen, if you're going to be faithful in this fallen world where questions aren't always answered, it's going to take a stillness. It's going to take time in which you just let it settle. But I want to say, just to be clear, that he's not giving us some kind of a humanistic self-help technique or he's not uh, using some kind of an Eastern mystical means of tranquility. Um, this kind of stillness that David is telling us about here is not dependent upon things that take place around us, like putting your furniture into a feng shui pattern or to... Um, to have a garden clipped a particular way or lines in the sand or the soothing, wonderful sounds of Enya playing on the radio. The kind of stillness he's talking about is the stillness that comes with worship. Namely, be still before the Lord. It's in his presence that we still ourselves and the effect is that our hearts are stilled. So be still before the Lord. Let your everything that's happening in your life and the problems, the unanswered questions and the tensions and the stresses and all of the things that pile on that you're feeling right now. And some of you, it's keeping you from hearing anything I'm saying because you're just so worried about everything. Is to be still before the Lord and allow your soul to rest on the solid rock of Christ himself and to allow your mind to, to remember the massive truths 
about who, all, who God is and what he has done for us in Jesus Christ to seep into the soul and allow you to be elevated once again into the wonder of his presence so that you know that his love is a love that will never let me go and it's massive. Or to know that his power and his wisdom are always here. He's always present with me and all these problems are small compared to him. Unless there's that stillness in which the Lord and the truth of the Lord and who he is to fill you with a sense of who he is, you don't find the strength to then go do. God does call us to do things. He calls us to be productive, but not without being still. And if we just simply do, 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 do all the time, this kind of sounds bad, do, do, do all the time. You know what? We end up, we end up operating in our own flesh and we find ourselves burning out. And we fail to realize in those moments of stillness that he is God and we are not. That everything that I am and everything that I have and everything that I have to do ultimately is done in his strength. That he gives me breath, he gives me life, he gives me a heartbeat. That he's the one. It's his plan he is unfolding. I don't have to make it happen. Just to remember that he's in charge and I'm not. And whatever I have to do, let's say, for example, in ministry that sometimes can feel like a mountain, I realize, you know what? If you call me to this, you're with me and you bear this burden, not me. And he wants to. That's why he keeps saying, cast your cares upon me. Cast your cares upon me. Don't do this in your strength. That requires you to be still. And I'll tell you, that very statement right there is something that I have not lived well in the past, especially when you have idolatries in your life. I remember three years and four years in seminary. I'm ashamed to say this. I remember being so worried about my grades and so worried about getting my Greek translated, Hebrew language memorized, vocabulary, theology, history of the church, that I busied myself with homework because I was concerned about grades and there was no stillness in my life. And I'll tell you what that says to me now is that I was worshiping the wrong thing. If I have to get a B or a C but maintain my heart for the Lord... That's what you need to do. I can see some of your college students heading you know, back to college. Some of you are already gone. You're going to get there, and that pressure is going to be on you. And you're going to have a question. Am I going to be still and put down my books and just be before the Lord? And remember, he is God, and he loves me. He's powerful, and he's wise. And delight yourself in him. That's a choice we make every day. You can either let life carry you, or you can stop, remember, let the truth of God sink in and allow it to lift you up. And then you go do your stuff and you do it in his strength and you do it in faith. It's a, what I'm saying here is that it's your relationship with the Lord that's central and what calms the soul. Reminds me of, of my, my youngest, Isaac, who sometimes is a pain in the back end. But love, just an amazing little boy. Sometimes he wakes up in the morning and his older siblings are gone. They're gone to school. And Deanna and I will be out on the back porch sitting, drinking coffee and talking. She drinks tea, I drink coffee. And um, you will hear him get up. And he can't find anybody. He's like, where did they go? And I think he probably at that moment fears being abandoned. Like, we've never abandoned him, but he runs from room to room. Mom! 
Dad? Then he runs to another room, and it kind of volume ratchets up the longer he goes. So upstairs, then he starts making his rounds downstairs. Mom? Dad? Mom? Dad? And finally, he opens it. I'm just kind of waiting, you know? I'm allowing that disequilibrium in his story to be experienced. Well, he walks outside the door, and he sees us both, and there's just this instant release. And he looks right straight at his mom. You know, we get, we get shafted when it comes to movies, and we get shafted when it comes to, to kids. And that is, he ran straight, he runs straight to her, climbs up in her lap, and you just see him calm. The frantic, frantic into a place of peace. And that's exactly where you just need to be. And you need to do that each day. Um, you need to have a place where you're still before the Lord and allow his truth to, to dominate your heart and your mind, to let all those things settle, the anxieties, the worries, the stresses, the workload, and to be still before him. I'd be willing to bet right now there are some of you who are wrestling with things, um, questions that haven't been answered, problems, that you're worried about not having solutions, bills that you're wondering if you're going to be able to pay. And let me just ask you right now, let's just try this. Let's not just teach it or talk about it. Let's just, it's a couple seconds here. I don't want this to sound new agey, but just close your eyes for a second. Especially those of you who are twisted up inside. Just close your eyes for a second. And by the power of the Spirit, I pray that you would be able to let those things settle down in your life whatever it is, whatever's playing in your mind, whatever you keep thinking about, just, just let it settle for a second. And breathe. Now I'm going to say some words of scripture and I'm praying that they will connect to your heart. Isaiah 41, verse 10. Don't be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Just let those words sink for a second. Isaiah 43, verse 1. Fear not. I have redeemed you. I have called you by name, and you are mine. Jeremiah 30. I have loved you with an everlasting love. Just got to let it connect in there for a second. And just think it, let it sink into the affection of your heart that God says, You are mine. I know you by name, and I have ransomed, and I have redeemed you, and I will uphold you, and I will strengthen you. Revelation chapter 1. I am the first, and I am the last. Behold, I was dead, and am now alive forevermore, and I hold the keys to life and death. All right, you can open your eyes. Just... I don't know if that did anything for you, but I'll tell you, it does something for me every day. I need, I need the Lord through his truth in the silence and stillness of a moment to elevate my heart, to consider his truth, and to know 
that he is God. That's what David says we're to do. In this crazy world, with questions, problems, and stresses, be still and remember that the Lord himself is God. So that's the first part of it, but then there's a second part that deals with the future. And that is, he goes on to say, not only should you be still, but you must wait. Waiting is kind of like leaning forward in your heart, you know, for the future. It's like, can't wait till it happens. I'm waiting, I'm looking, I'm gazing. When is it going to take place? He says, wait patiently for the Lord. Waiting for what? And how long? The questions. Most people think, and coming back to the story of life, that aren't believers or Christian or have a Christian worldview, that the story of life consists of the 60, 70, or 80 years that we have. And I figured if I lived to be my grandfather's age, it was 76, I suppose I, I got, what is that, 33 more years to go? It's 33 Christmases, that's not very many. Is that the span of my life? Is that my story? That's how most people see it. You breathe, first breath, then there's the last breath, and everything in between is your story. It begins when you're born, and it ends when you die. That's the story of life. A lot of people have that view of their story. That's how they see themselves in history. This is my time, this is my little story, and it's rapidly coming for some to a conclusion. The problem with seeing life like that, that this is the only story there is from birth to death, if you really believe that, then you're going to spend your whole life trying to control the outcomes because this is all there is. And when you can't control the outcomes, you can't answer the questions, you can't solve the problems, you'll find yourself at the end frustrated and cynical. And if you're not frustrated by the fact you can't control the outcomes of your story, you want it to resolve, then you'll end up trying to just suck out all the joy of this little time frame we call life because this is all there is. It's all there's worth living for. Now that is not to be the Christian's view of their story. My story didn't begin in Mercy Hospital in 1967. And yours didn't begin when you were born either, when you, if you're a believer. In fact, my story and your story, it predates creation. In other words, before the foundation of the earth was laid, your name was already in the opening credits. Your story goes back into the eternal mind of God himself. I know this because the Bible says so. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4, that we were chosen in Christ before the foundations of the world were laid. We were already known. He already foreknew us. He already predetermined when and how we would live, where we would live, the duration of our lives, and the part that we would play. So we were already there in his mind. Our story begins in eternity past. Not just this little 60, 70 years but it also goes forward farther than our last breath because God has written a final chapter. Our little 60, 70, 80 years is just a little chapter in an overarching drama of what God has done and is doing and will do. But there is a final chapter that has already been written 
in that story. And in that final chapter, everything in all the chapters before is completely and fully resolved. All the questions are answered, at least to our complete satisfaction. No one will be going, man, I wish you would tell me this when you get there. The injustices will be brought to justice. All the problems will ultimately be solved in this final chapter. So whether we live to see it in the here and now, it will come. The final concluding chapter in that Revelation chapter 5 that we read, we're told that there Jesus brings the story to a close. He's the one who unseals the final unfolding of history and brings everything that was wrong to a place of right. He resolves the whole thing. The story which began with him, because we told, we're told that by him all things were created, that the story is for him, for all things are for him, and that it's all about him, and he's the one who concludes it. And that final chapter, what that says to us is, you know what? There is a resolution. And I can trust him with that, which is why it says, wait patiently for him. You're waiting for the final chapter. That's, that's how a Christian is to see his life. If, you're, if, if, if all you can see is 60, 70 years, then you're going to be frustrated and disappointed. But if you believe that there's a final chapter in which the resounding chord of redemption resolves like that suspended forth coming down, then you can let things go. You don't have to solve all the problems. You don't have to have all your questions answered. Because you know they will be at some point. Now that's great for two reasons for the Christian. And it's tremendously liberating if you adopt that view of life in the world. One is just to say that it will be resolved and just know that that's true. Jesus will resolve issues, problems. He will turn mourning into dancing. He will turn sorrows into shouts of joy. And I trust that, and I will wait for that. And even here, I should back up, and even here in the Psalm 37, it points us to the final chapter. I find this psalm intriguing, in fact. Because you might ask yourself, well, in the psalm, what is he saying to wait for? And three things emerge. One, you wait for the bad guys to get what's coming to them. As you realize in this that the Lord promises that evil at some point will be judged. That just keeps coming up over and over again. Verse 2, they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Or verse 9, for the evildoers shall be cut off. Or verse 20, the wicked will perish. The enemies of the Lord are like the glory of the pastures. They vanish, smoke like they vanish. That's, in other words, they're going to come to an end. There's going to be a day in which it doesn't exist anymore. The good guys win in the end, even though it may seem in the present like they're winning. So that's one thing. Evil is judged. Another thing is that the righteous are vindicated. Verse 6, he will bring forth your righteousness as the light and your, and your justice as the noonday. And when the Old Testament talks about people being righteous, I don't believe that's necessarily a, a category of moral perfection. Otherwise, David couldn't himself be righteous. 
but rather it's a quality of the heart, someone who trusts the Lord and delights in the Lord and fears the Lord and commits their way to the Lord, someone who at the, at the, at the bottom level trusts him. I mean, that's what the Bible says from beginning to end, the just shall live by their faith. They're trusting in the Lord. So there's vindication. These are my sons. These are my daughters. And there is a day in which the Lord will prepare a table for us before our enemies. But then there's this other thing he keeps saying to wait for. This stated five different times. Verse 9. Those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 11. But the meek shall inherit the land. That's cited by Jesus in Matthew 5. And delight themselves in abundant peace. Verse, uh, verse 22. For those blessed by the Lord shall inherit the land. Verse 29. The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell upon it forever. Verse 34. Wait for the Lord and keep his way and he will exalt you to inherit the land. Over and over he's saying, wait and you'll inherit the land. Wait and you'll inherit the land. Wait and you'll inherit the land. Five different times, that's what they're looking forward to, which is rather ironic because at the time that David writes this, he's already in the land. Which tells us that David understood that that little piece of property over there in the Middle East that's 200 miles by 50 miles, that that wasn't it. Otherwise, he wouldn't talk about inheriting it. So I think that he knew, as Paul later explains in Romans chapter 4, verse 13, that that little piece of land called Palestine was just a, like, like a token deposit, a representation of something that would fully and finally come, and that is the new heavens and the new earth. And that's precisely what it is. The whole concept of the land for a person who's a Jewish person and then picked up in the New Testament... It represents the culmination of everything that we want. A place free of pain and evil. Inhabited by a people that are perfected. And where God makes his presence fully known to his people in that place. That's what it represents. And that's what he's saying. Wait for it because it's coming. And he died waiting. Some of us will die waiting but it will come. The resolution's coming. The final chapter is coming. The problem will be solved. You've got to trust that your story goes a lot farther than the next 50, 60, 70 years. The other thing that I think is important to note is that when that final chapter happens, let's say it happens... 500 years from now. I don't think it's going to happen 500 years from now when Jesus comes. But when that final chapter happens, we're all going to be there. We're not going to miss the conclusion. It's like we're, there's a reprise of all of God's people in the final chapter so that we're able to see it firsthand. Which is why Paul could call it the blessed hope. And he, could, he knew he'd see it. Even if it was a 3,000 year gap, he knew he would see it because he would rise from the dead. So we all come back for the last chapter. My grandfather and my grandmother are going to come back in the last chapter. And their grandmother's going to come back for the last chapter. And so Moses is going to be there. And David's going to be there. Jeremiah and Isaiah. They're all going to come up and we're all going to see the final re resolving chapter of, of history. That's our story. And that's how our story ends. 
And that's why you can let go of things and not force resolution or force an answer to a question that God has not answered yet. Because you wait for it. Listen, I, I really hope. I just, I want for myself and I want for the people that are a part of this family. To love God with their whole heart and to walk faithfully through all of your pains and disappointments and discouragements. To know that God loves you in a way that, that gives you strength each morning. That makes you want to shout from the rooftop that God loves me. That's what I desire. That's, that's not going to happen unless you're able to be still before him and allow those truths to sink in. And also recognizing that the final climactic finale is still future and he will resolve it because he loves you. And you can trust him with that. So if you're one of those people who's right now like, yep, boy, I just need some stillness and I need to be reminded that there's still a final chapter and God will wrap things up perfectly. Uh, Let's just close this with a time of just silence before the Lord and maybe ask him, how would you have me live this out? And just let those anxieties and those things settle down for a moment. And remember, the story has a final chapter that will resolve all of those issues. And then we'll sing a couple worship songs.